It's Wednesday. We just want to tell you that Backlash Podcast is officially canceled for this week. I think we're going to come back in mid-April. Until then, we're going to hide out. So thanks for listening. <laughs> I don't know about that, Jeff. <laughs> we, uh, we're not going to quit. We're not going to close the doors. How's that sound? We're not. I thought this was a perfect excuse for me to ride off into the sunset. <laughs> You're not getting it out of this that easy. <laughs> Carrie's fan club would not put up with that. No, they wouldn't. They're, they might riot as long as they're allowed out in the streets. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Well, if anything, this should actually give us more time to podcast, right? I mean, I think pretty soon we're all going to be locked up. My kids aren't going to school anymore till whatever it is. I don't know, mid-April or whatever. I don't know. Mid-July. Maybe. Could be. I don't know. Yeah, this is quite bizarre, but... Uh... I don't know. Life still goes on. We got to keep going forward and keep working. That's how I'm going to deal with it, I guess. You know what I think I'm going to do is we've had some really nice weather in Wisconsin lately. I mean, for early or early March, April. I keep thinking April because that's when my kids go back to school. For early March, we have open water. I think on a couple of lakes. I got a specific lake, and if people know me, they know the lake I fished. I haven't fished it in forever because I've been too busy in April and. I think I'm actually going to maybe do some smallmouth bass fishing in April. In fact, I might even do it late in March because I might have time to. I know electrically I'm not super busy. Weight limits are on right now, so we kind of slow down a little bit more there. So I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go self-quarantine myself and go and try to get some smallmouth bass one of these days. This is blowing my mind. A different species. Maybe you should try bluegills. No, that's where I draw the line. No bluegills. You just don't know what you're missing. Quite honestly, this lake is actually pretty fun. Like you can't get super giant smallmouth, but to find an 18 or a 19 is actually not very un- not very uncommon. So I'm gonna go out there and cast some jerk baits around and see what I can do. I haven't been out there in probably five years. I mean, heck, I might even run a video camera and put out a YouTube video of me smallmouth bass fishing. I'm turning over a new leaf, you know. I always say new year, new leaf, but you know, new month. Maybe it's a little bit of the coronavirus talking. I don't know, but. I'm thinking we're going to do some smallmouth fishing. That sounds fun, actually. Sounds really fun. It is pretty sweet. I'll, I'm uh, pretty glad you have soft water, too. I was like kind of hoping that we could go ice fishing, maybe catch a few gills, but pretty sure I'll be building baits. Yeah, building some for me. Mm-hmm. Building lots for you. Yeah, rumor has it that Mel decided to put an order in recently, so that's a problem. And I know how her orders are. They're like twice as big as when I order. Good problems, Jeff. Good problems. Well, it's funny because she's like the exact opposite with like with um, personal finances. She's really tight with her money, pays attention to all the pennies that are spent. But when it comes to business, she's just like, spend it, you know, which is like weird because the exact opposite is me personally. Like I'll buy whatever. I don't. I don't want. I don't want to say that I worry about it a whole lot. But I mean, you know, within reason. It's not like we're super loaded. and I can go buy whatever I want. But I don't think too much about it sometimes. But when it comes down to business expenses, I run my business finances much differently than I do my personal finances. So it's just weird that we're exact opposites. So when Carrie gets an order, if it's really big, she knows that Mel did it, and if it's like not very big, she knows that I did it. That's awesome. So, you got any other Musky Mayhem related news for this week? We are with YouTube. If you subscribe to Musky Mayhem Tackles YouTube, we are putting out old video segments that we did back in, I don't even know how many years ago, on DVD. 
we're putting out each of those segments one a week, and we're probably going to continue that all the way through till June. And uh, so check those out. Otherwise, we're just kind of getting ready for the Minnesota show and trying to pump out orders. It sounds like a lot of fun. I'm going to go get my boat ready pretty soon so I can go chase smallmouth bass. I, I at least hope I get to do it anyways because I, I, I haven't done it. And usually the water isn't open this early. Like I know this lake's got a lot of current, not a lot of current, but enough current through it. Typically, you can't ice fish it because you can't walk across it. So I'm thinking it's going to be, docks are going to be wide open. I know they're in already because they never take them out. This is going to be great. So that is good. I'll uh, let you guys I... build orders and I'll go smallmouth fishing. <laughs> Fill your order too. Yeah, I'm, my boat isn't even completely ready. I got a new boat. I don't even know when it was. Maybe February? For my birthday. Yeah, for Carrie's birthday. So January 28th. How does that work? My birthday and he gets a new boat. Right. I get the boat so that I stay out of her hair. See? Uh, it, was, it was for her. So I need to bother Melissa more. So then she's like, yeah, just go buy that jet boat so you get out of my hair. Yeah, see, that's how it works. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that. It works for me anyway. Well, but, see about that. So Carrie, if I come over and bother you, are you going to buy me a jet boat to get me out of your hair? No, I'm just going to send you back to Wisconsin where you came from. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) you make it sound like it's just like armpit or something. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like Wisconsin. I got nothing against Wisconsin. I know you said, I'm just going to send you back to Wisconsin. Like you're going to put me in the ghetto or something. No. I see how it is. It's always that arrogance over there in Minnesota. I get it. Yeah. Arrogance. Yeah. That's <laughs> us. Good description of uh, carrying on for sure. Uh, well, people I know, you know that I'm kind of making stuff up. So. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited. I've been, you know, got the boat like probably 90% rigged. Waiting on a couple things from TraxTech so I can get the, the rest of it done and buttoned up. I feel like I'm I'm well ahead of this season, knowing that we still have probably two feet of ice out on the lake. So it's not a big emergency to have your boat completely rigged, but it's always exciting and, and fun with a new boat. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Well, tonight we're going to talk to Paul Frustario from Boshhead. And if anybody doesn't know Paul, he does a lot of fishing over in Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, I think he said. I think he also does some little bit of Georgian Bay. So hopefully we can pick his brain a little bit about not only his own baits, but how he approaches a few different things and see if we can't get some people some information on how to catch more muskies this year. Sounds like a really good plan. Let's get after it. All right. Our guest for today is Paul Frustario from Boss Shad. Paul, thanks for coming on. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, guys? Doing really good, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you coming out. So, Paul, typically, since you're a first-time guest on our podcast, we try to get you try to get a background story on the guest, try to figure out, you know, what got him into musky fishing, kind of like the story from the beginning to now, sort of what got you into it. And then you have a Bosch ad line of crankbaits, and then we'll start kind of dive into that and then sort of talk a little bit about uh, trolling application, short line trolling, spring trolling. And I know you do some casting too, so maybe we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit too. But to get things rolling, why don't you give us a background story on what got you from the beginning to now? Well, I've always been fishing my whole time, my whole life, as long as I can remember. My dad didn't fish much. Uh, I had a neighbor that did a lot of fishing, and we used to go once in a while. And just all through, you know, just any time that I had, I went fishing. 
the local ponds, ride my bike there. We, we would usually go like twice a day. My parents got a place at Chautauqua when I was about 10, and we started going up there every weekend through the season. And back then, you know, everybody killed muskies, so I would, and they would have to tag them. So I would fish off the dock a lot, and then I would walk up by the office. There was always big muskies laying, you know, in the grass, getting registered, and it was just like, that planted the seed right there. I was like, I have to catch one of these. And again, my dad, my dad used to take me walleye fishing and stuff, but he, he would never spend the time, you know, to, to go after those because back then it was pretty hard to catch them, you know. So that seed was planted and it just, you know, stayed there for a long time. And um, when I got old enough to get a boat, I got a boat and then I, I started going from that point on. I haven't looked back. I found a local Muskie Zinc chapter in Cleveland that I joined and then I met the friends that I that I'm friends with today I met from the club and that was over shoot that was probably 25 years ago uh one guy was I met through one of my ex-girlfriends because my ex-girlfriend and his wife were in college together she told me that they must be fish so that was like my hint you know so I I called him up didn't even know him and he took me out Showed me the ropes of the one lake here in Ohio. And I think that was like a Wednesday or Thursday night. Showed me what to buy. I think I went out Saturday right after that, and I caught my first muskie, and that was it. That's how it started. That first fish can kind of be effective, and um, definitely something that that changes your whole world. I'm guessing from there you just kind of elevated. Yeah, I tell you what, thinking back of what I, what I was using and, I mean, I didn't know nothing, you know. He didn't tell, teach me any specifics, you know. We used to just cast the lure out, let some more line out go. If we snagged up, we snagged up. If we lost it, we lost it, you know. There was no rhyme or reason for it. And, you know, it was just the rods and the reels that we had then compared to now. You know, I didn't know. You know, we're just using just crappy stuff. It's funny how similar I think all of our stories are when it comes to musky anglers. We all had that one experience or you had, as you said, you seen those fish land there and they were registering them. Uh, it, it's just enough to spawn that whole concept in your mind and, and kind of get you started. Yeah, there was a camper that was down the road from us that had musky heads nailed to the tree. And I used to always go down there and look at the teeth and stuff. You know, we're talking 10, 11 years old, but it was, like, cool as hell, you know? Something grabbed me, and and it just never let go, you know? Well, I got a question, Paul. How old are we talking? I mean, what year were you uh, first introduced to this sport? Like, seeing the muskies on the, on the, on the grass or, like, actually muskie fishing? Yeah, we'll, we'll do both. I mean, how long did it take you? Maybe that's a good way to put it, too. You know, the first time you've seen those fish to when you first caught your fish. What year was that? I mean, how long have you been in this game? It was, um, well, when we were when we were going to Chicago, I was, it, was the, it was the early 80s. I probably didn't start musky fishing till like, 93 or 94 is when I actually went did it myself, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you started targeting them, yep. But I remember my first boat, getting the 
it was just, yeah, it was just nuts. It was fun. You know, it seemed funner back then. I don't know why. Maybe because it was new. Less pain. Yeah, yeah, I love pain. Well, I I think about that once in a while too, like just looking back on when I first started, and I kind of get what you're saying. Like it seemed, like I guess everything maybe just seemed new, and and maybe that's why it was seemed like more fun at that point. Not that you're not still learning, but it was just a different, it was just a different deal at that point. You know, like you were. Well, for me, it was. For me, it's the whole mystique. You know, when I used to go out to a specific um, Ohio lake on the weekends, there might be three or four boats musky fishing. Now, it's like 30 to 40. So, it's that's what I mean. It's just not it's just different today. It's, it's, the sport has blown up so big around us. You know, I'm always chasing different lakes to get away from everybody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're going to fish the weekend or the weekday. Even on weekdays, it's busy. So, like, that mistake's kind of gone unless you travel. And I think Jeff's right. It's different because it was new. And you were always trying to find a ways. You know, there wasn't even that many lures. And it, we're, not, we're not talking very long ago, but there was not that many lure companies in the 90s like there is today. We had... Like for Ohio, we had the Bagley series of eight, and we had grandmas, and not many people used the believers in our lakes. So, I mean, it wasn't that you had some cranes, but there wasn't a ton of baits to choose from, and that's how we just, we started making baits. So let's talk about starting to make baits. What was it that got you into it? Like, what, what made you want to start making your own? The Bagleys weren't holding up, and we're, we were always fixing them and trying to make them better. And it just spawned, it spawned from that, you know. I guess it just spawned from that, just just tinkering, because we didn't have, you know, there wasn't a lot of choices. So, uh, my one of my, a good friend of mine, you know, he was already making some baits, and, but they were really big for Georgia baits. And that kind of planted that seed a little bit. One of the local rivers by me, we do some casting, so I started, you know, screwing around with making some, like, sewer-type baits. And it, it's just one thing led to another. You know, it's just a ball. Nobody painted. I used to I used to come home, and there would be boxes of baits sitting by my garage to, to get painted from different people. Because nobody, nobody that I knew painted. There was one local guy, well, not local, he he was about an hour away that did some painting for different companies. But besides him, there was like nobody even doing any repaint. I painted so many, I, I mean, we're talking boxes of baits. Every week I would have boxes of baits sitting there to paint. With tinkering and with the painting, that kind of evolved Boschette. How many years has Boschette been around now, Paul? Well, it's, it's, I've been selling for 10 years. It's probably been around for probably 15. I used to, I didn't sell them for a long time. I kept them for myself. When Chris Hammer came out with the wooden tough shed, that's when I decided to start my company. He got a pretty good hold of it first, meaning he was really out there, getting out there, you know, sending a lot of stuff to all the local clubs. And after like a couple of weeks in the garage after work, I was like, you know what? I'm just, this, it's just not time yet. So I, I put it away for a long time, 
a lot of people don't know this, but as soon as he went to plastic, that's when I started the company full fledged, 100% ready to go. Because I knew I knew there'd be a lot of people that were sore about it. So that was like my little in to get in. And it worked. The timing, it was all time. It all worked. It worked out for me. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. So many different companies have chosen, you know, they go from wood to a plastic bait. And the next thing that happens is uh, there's some falling out with the c- customer, that's for sure. But uh, Absolutely. In, in some realms, sometimes plastic's better, but, you know, it's whatever the original was. That's uh, that, There's something to be said about that. Well, the, touch, the plastic touch had definitely proved itself. He, he made the right choice for sure. So let's talk a little bit more in depth, Paul, about the different uh, baits that you're currently making. I started with the uh, four and a half inch boss shed. I looked at everything out there at the time and tried to come up with my own design and my own lip and my own lip angle and all that. Cause, you know, I didn't want to copy nobody. And in fact, a couple people I showed it to said, there's no way it's going to run with that that lip for that size base and the angle it was, well, me and Kevin Goldberg, uh, we went out for, well, I should let me back up. I mean, one went out, caught a pike on it. I'm like, okay, it's going to work. So I made like, I think five, five or eight more different colors. I called Kevin. They said, hey, what are you doing today? He goes, nothing. I go, let's fish. You know, if they asked him twice. So we went out. We went for the first of, the very first testing of these baits, of these eight baits, we caught, uh, I think we went 10 or 11 for like 18 that day. And when I went back to the dock that night, there was like five people waiting at the dock to see this thing. And then from there, it just went crazy. Oh, that's incredible. That's the sign, right? Yeah. I mean, back then it was, you know, it's, it's before Facebook, it was before I mean, internet was just coming around, you know, but it was basically to tell people that you went to Walmart and you came home safe. You know, that was it. There was, there was no message boards and, and, and all the things that there is today. So I kind of did it the old fashioned way, word of mouth, let the baits do the talking. They caught fish. I got them in the people, I got them definitely in the right hands. That's probably 50% of the success. I got them in the good fisherman's hands, and they just started doing damage with them. And uh, we were winning tournaments with them, and that, that's just how it went. And then I started making different models, you know, to just keep up with different things, and that's how it went. And now it's a seven-day-a-week job. <laughs> are, you, are you full-time at this point, Paul? Yes. And how long have you been doing that full-time? I mean, that- that's something that uh, it takes time to get there. I, I quit my job about three or four years ago and went at it. And then um, it was a little iffy. So I went back to work. And it's been a little over two years now that it's full time. Um, I had a surgery coming up. So I knew I was going to be off for about three weeks. And I hated my job. So I started what I was going to do to make this work again. I put certain things in order, and like I said, it's a, it's a little over two years now, but it's a hard life. It's, there's just so much competition now. 
you know, people only have so much money to go around, you know. There's a lot of bait makers out there now. There truly is, Paul, and it, you know, it's very glamorous from the outside looking in, but at the end of the day, <laughs> it it's boils down to, like you just said, a seven-day work week, and I think a lot of people don't recognize that, and I think they think no, we're they, all multi-millionaires, you know? <laughs> they would be blown away how many hours I put in. Because, you know, we're not selling 100 baits a year or, pay, or you know, or paying, you know, 20 baits a month. I mean, this is, I, I got a guy that comes, you know, three or four days a week after his job for four hours a day. And I'm in here, I bet you I'm in here 10, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, once spring hits, I'll start taking a day off here once during the week just to fish. And now my kids are older and they got their kind of their own life now. And my wife works nights. So it's working out. I just hope it keeps going because I don't want to blow out the toolbox anytime soon. It's funny listening to you two talk because there's very, there's a lot of parallels that I can draw between the two companies. Like they're in bucktails. You're in, you know, let's just say shad baits, which are, in my opinion, the two most probably competitive sec- sections of musky bait building. You know, you're talking oh, working yeah. seven days a week. I know Brad and Carrie are working seven days a week. It's cool to hear the story because I think the two stories are really similar. The other thing that maybe isn't recognized always either is when you're a legit musky building, uh, tackle building company, you know, some of the things that come along with that is excise tax. And, and we're competing against some garage builders that haven't even heard about excise tax. So that can kind of be a, an issue as well. I always tell everybody this is going to be the dumbest move you can make to make a living. But I like my time. You know, if I want to stop and go cut my lawn for an hour, I can. I don't have to rush home from work at 5 o'clock to do it. You know, I don't want to share the lake on the weekends with 50 people. I want to go during the week when there's maybe two. You know what I'm saying? To me, that's worth it. But am I making way less money than I did before? Yeah, but somehow you you just manage. I don't know. I don't need, you know, an $80,000 skeeter. You know, and I don't need a 2020 truck. So I, I spend certain ways to make it work for myself because the time is worth more than the money to me. I totally understand that whole concept. You could be a musky yeah, re- retailer just, and you got no time and no money. <laughs> yeah, and you gotta, you're still doing the electric, right? I am. Yeah, I was just wiring. Like, yeah. I don't know, whatever. I got home from work. I was talking to Brad yeah, and Gary on my way man. home. And then I basically jumped in to do this podcast right after I got down. You know, I literally haven't had my tool belt off for an hour today. I have to admit, since we, since we postponed this twice, I remembered it all the way up until about 3 o'clock. And my daughter's like, can you take me to the pond fishing and we can go out to dinner? I'm like, yeah, let's go. And when you called me, we were on the way to the pond. And I, I said, holy cow, I forgot about that. And I had to rush home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Paul, you know, you could if you were going fishing with your daughter, you could have always rescheduled and said, hey, guys, sorry, I'm going to have to reschedule on you because I did it to you twice. I mean, I had different things come up. Nah, that's right. Well, I'm here. We're going to go after the podcast. That's good. Yeah. So you you talked about, you know, what got you started in the in the first bait. So how many different baits are you making these days? Too many, eight, I think. Wow. I think, I think eight now. I got three, three size minnows. 
Then I got the client loss of four and a half to seven. And then I got two different tens in the same base, different whip. And the Canadian, the big Canadian series now, but that's only, that's only about 30 a year. So, okay. Well, since we hadn't talked about um, it yet, if guys are looking for your baits, where do they find them these days? Ballshed.com. Everything's in stock on the website. I do. I still take some custom orders here and there, and that's it. The only place you can get them. Or at a show if I make it. Yeah, did you recently do the Muskie Max show? I did. It was a good time. Yeah, I've only heard good things about that show. I'm gonna just, Brad and Carrie, yeah. Brad and Kerry told me they're going to go out there next year, right, Brad? I believe so, yeah. Hopefully uh, we get through this coronavirus deal and we have shows no, again. <laughs> I was right next to Betty and watching him hang up all your uh, all your bucktails. Did you spend some money on him? No, I did not. <laughs> I, I, I did not. You, I'll I had to put you on the spot, Paul. No, I didn't. I, I like I like the rabbit squirrels though. They were pretty nice, interesting Thank looking. Thank you. Yeah, I have a couple from um, Billy that used to own the company. Yep, Billy, that I Billy used did a great company. job with it as well. Yeah, he did. And, well, I didn't even know that he sold it until I seen him there. Yeah, there's been a and couple I announcements, I guess, but you know, I it's hard to always know what's going on, right? Yeah, yeah. When I see him unpacking them, I'm like, "Those are the rabbit squirrels." He's like, "Oh yeah, they bought that company from Billy." Good stuff. Funny. Well, should we? Try? How's your business doing? How's Team Rhino doing? Team Rhino's doing well. Yeah, things yeah. keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm a little bit, you know, wondering what's going to happen here with this, this whole virus deal, whether that's going to impact sales a little bit, but so far. Well, I, I'm thinking it, it is. Yeah. I just had a couple of friends that they told them to stay home for two weeks and they're closing my kid's school down for three weeks starting Monday. That's crazy. So at least you're going to have some it time. I mean, with you guys, you got open water there. You'll be able to take her out musky fishing at least, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be nice next week. So, Brad, when's your boss going to give you some time off? We'll head over to Ohio and go fishing. We still have uh, quite a little bit of a wait for our season, but, you know, it's amazing how fast time's flying. So it won't be too long. Spring's on its way. We'll be on open water here soon enough, Joe. Absolutely. I think our water's 40 right now. So I think our water's frozen about right now still. I saw a couple ponds, though. They look like they're about ready to open up because we've gotten rain, a lot of rain in the last three days so i'm thinking that i don't know we could actually be looking at early spring on our side yet fortunately for us we were in the single digits a few days this week so i don't know we're, we're still in the tundra up here yeah you guys wow. are like more like alaska over there than you are minnesota i think <laughs> we were 50 today they got up to 50 yeah we weren't there we were probably 32 with a 40 mile an hour wind it wasn't exactly warm in wisconsin my daughter says to me she's like dad can I wear my spring jacket to school? And I'm like, no, this is Wisconsin. You can't wear that until May. Oh, my God. How much fishing are you doing throughout the winter as well? That's my break. So I, I have to take a break. I could go if it's not frozen, but it usually, it, it usually freezes or I can go a little south. With the shows and stuff and all the orders that come in during the winter, I just it's just, it's just good to have a couple months off, you know what I mean? I totally get it. And I know your favorite is the troll. So let's talk about some of your spring trolling tactics. 
Yeah, spring right now. If I was going to go out today, I would still fish like it was in the fall because those fish are not up in the shallows too much yet. Or I should say on the lakes that are fishing. They're not all like that. But the one that I would pick to go, they're not. They're they're still set up over open water. So I would. They're starting to move in probably now. So I would I would fish like I was fishing the fall. But once that water hits like in the fifties, it's time to shoreline troll in the shallows. And what I mean by that, it's five foot, eight foot, sometimes no line out, just a leader, three foot leader. And, you know, we buzz anywhere, we'll be thrown in anywhere from three foot of water to eight foot of water. You can see the baits just underneath the surface a lot of times. And what kind of speeds are we talking when you're doing that, Paul? I usually go about three, five to four at this time. And then when you're with Kevin Goldberg, you're doing about seven to eight? No, he he does about the same. (laughs) I just know that Kevin likes to, to push the envelope when it comes to trolling, so... He, uh, oh, oh yeah, he, he's always creeping on the throttle for you. I used to do six and a half at Chautauqua. I've caught a lot of fish that way, but it wreaks havoc on your equipment, though. Obviously, being from Ohio, you're spending a ton of time in Ohio fishing, but you do make it out to New York, and you said even PA, correct? I probably spend more time out of Ohio than I do in Ohio. I'm um. I'm only an hour from the Pennsylvania line, and I'm only um, an hour and 50 minutes from Chautauqua. So it's actually closer to go to Chautauqua than to southern Ohio to the lake. I spend more time up there. When, what time of the year are you spending more time out of Ohio then? I mean, is that something that you wait till midsummer, or is it something that you're doing right away in the spring, the, the first initial um, pre-spawn? I usually spend till May in Ohio, and then from the middle of May, I'll usually put the boat up in New York, or I'll fish different lakes into Pennsylvania after that. Now, I'll do some night fishing in Ohio during the week if my boat's with me, especially when the water gets hot. You know, we're talking July, August, I'll start night trolling. Springtime. Springtime, I fish till about May, and then I make a decision what I'm going to do after that. So, Paul, what's a typical setup for you? Well, when you when you say you're going to go to Chautauqua or or wherever you're going to go, and you start to run, what are you running, and how are you running them? Well, that depends on the lake and on, and, and the type of part of the year. But if if I'm going to go up to Chautauqua, if I'm going to fish the the south end of the Chautauqua. You know, you're allowed three lines apiece. So I usually do two board lines, a down rod, and then a side rod. That part of the lake is shallow. We're talking like 15, 16 feet is the um, average. So I'll, put bait, I'll use four and a half and seven inch wash heads, and I'll put those down anywhere from eight to 12. And then on my boards, I'll put like a Wiley out with a 50 foot lead. That's down around five, five and a half feet. And that's typically what I run on that end of the lake. And then if, if the fish are set up real deep on the north end of the lake, then I put everything down 20, 25, sometimes 30. But same setup, same lures, just longer lakes to get them down that deep. That's all. What's the depth curve on those baits? 
you can get them, uh, the four and a half will get down about, I've, I've had them down to 28, but that's a really lot of line. That's a lot of line. But I use a uh, 50 pound braid. That way I can get them down quicker. And 20 foot is about 105 feet of line, just 20 foot down on a four and a half. And that's at four and a half miles an hour. I, I always find it so interesting, you know, the speeds that uh, it seems like the Eastern guys do way more speed than we do here in Minnesota, at least. I've heard that. That's not just Minnesota, Brad. Us Wisconsin guys run a little bit slower, too. Which, right. to bring to bring that story back around, so at the, at the Muskie Expo last weekend, I had a couple guys that said that they run pretty fast in the fall, like four and a half miles an hour, and he said they're catching fish, you know, on... Some of some of those northern lakes at four and a half miles an hour in the late fall with, you know, water temperatures are in that 30 degree mark, thir- or not 30 degree mark, but in the 30s, you know, upper 30s to lower oh, yeah. 40s. So it's got me thinking that maybe we're missing the boat. Yeah, you know, you don't want to give them a, a chance to think about it. You know, just have that moves zipping by. It's a reaction strike, you know what I'm saying? If it's coming back, if it's coming real slow, they get to look at it, you know, like, yeah. I think I'm going to go eat a Cisco, you know. We run fast in the fall. We don't. I mean, we've caught fish at five miles an hour in 38-degree water. I guess it's whatever you're comfortable with, and it depends on what baits you're using. You know, if you're using some, some baits don't look good that fast, or some baits look fast going slow, so you don't have to go as fast. You know what I'm saying? No, it's, you know, it goes to to casting as well. I mean, one of the things that you really got to think about is speed of retrieval is key. And so is trolling. Mm-hmm. Speeds. And I agree with you completely. And I do experiment some, but it seems like in the spring, slower is better throughout the rest of the season. I think you can get by with a little bit more speed. Yeah, I agree with that. Cause in the spring, if we're casting gliders, you know, we're retrieving real slow. And then as the summer starts peaking, we're throwing big jerk bait and we're honking them in, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's about the same, I would say. For sure. I was going to say, burning bucktails has become, well, it's not new anymore, but I don't know, what do you think the last eight years, the burning of the bucktails with the, all the new reels out there? That's, that's like a new tactic now. Fast as you can get them in. There's a time and a place, right? And... I don't know. Sometimes I think that that's based upon the forage base. If you have a a really heavy forage-based lake, it seems like slower a lot of times can make the difference. And I I would think that because I think the fish kind of become lazy. A a meal is really super easy. If you have a lot of competition for feed, usually the fastest bait going is is going to be the apex, you know, the top predator there is going to eat it, the biggest fish or the strongest fish. So, yeah, I, I yeah, consider yeah. that a lot of times when it comes to speed of retrieval or even trolling speeds. And I, I think it varies, too, because if you're not catching them going slow, then speed it up. I've seen that happen a lot. You know, you're not catching nothing, and you'll be you'll talk to your buddy, and he, he would already have one or two fish, and the first thing you ask him is, what's your speed? And he's like, oh, I'm doing five, and it's like, I'm doing like three, two, and then you kick it up to five and you start catching fish. So I think it all depends, you know, on the next day it might be the opposite. So I try to vary as I'm going, you know, I'll, I'll, I usually start at four and if I'm not catching stuff, I'll 
put it up to four two. Now four two, what's the difference between four and four two? A lot. And if I don't start catching up, I'll, I'll kick it up some more. And if I don't catch nothing, then I'll drop it down to three and a half. And you just, you know, you just, you just try different things. You don't. The worst thing you can do is get stuck at doing one thing, because then you're only going to catch so many fish a year, and that's going to be it. I would agree with that. And if you look at like the salmon side or the trout side, speed is so critical when it comes to that. Yes, it is. So if you if you think about that and you relate that back to muskies, speed definitely can make a difference. So definitely something mm-hmm. that everybody should think about. When we used to go to St. Clair, we used to just fly around St. Clair, and we would do really well. But then you you hear the charter captains they they don't go fast, you know, for some reason. I know they're doing a, they're running a lot of bucktails, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But they typically go slower than we go. Well, let's talk but about speed time. for a second. So you're talking about changing speeds up based on you know how the fish are reacting. Like, let's just say, for example, you're going to run at four miles an hour or four and a half miles an hour. How long are you going to run at four and a half miles an hour before you before you change that speed? If I know that there's fish where I'm fishing, then I'll give it a good hour at least and try that. And, the, and and if it's during a peak window, I will definitely give it an hour or better. But after that, if it doesn't happen, then I'll, I'll switch something out. I don't really switch too many baits and colors. I mean, I know color makes a difference, but... I know what works where I fish, so I don't. I see a lot of people wasting time switching out baits every five minutes. And for casting, I'm a switcher, but for trolling, I'm not. And is that a confidence thing? Is that why you? Is that why you know you've gotten bit so many times trolling with certain baits and certain depths and all that stuff? Is that what the idea behind yeah, it? Yeah, for sure, so for yeah, sure. I now, if if they don't want none of that, I mean, some let's let's be honest. Sometimes they just don't bite for that day, right? So, so you can do everything you have in your arsenal, and it's just not going to happen. You know, maybe it's a severe pull punch. You know, maybe it's just nasty out. Maybe you know, who knows? I got so many baits. I make so many different styles now. You know, I just I just learned I learned how to use them and when to use them and where to use them that. I just know what I'm going to, I know what I'm going to run before I can get to the lake. You know what I'm saying? And I, I might vary a little bit with a different action or something, but it's usually, it's usually, but you know, you, you can go, I, I, if I, okay, let me put it this way. If I jump on Kevin's boat and we're going to West Branch, all that do is bring one plane a lot if we're trolling. I don't have to bring a whole arsenal. You know what I'm saying? Because you know what works from all the years that you fish there. And if we're going to go somewhere else, I know I know what I need to bring. I try not to bring too much stuff anymore. Because you know as well as I know, everybody has like a million baits, you know what I mean? You get, it'll get you more confused. So, Paul, if you were a new person and you were limited to how many baits you could bring, say you only had your one plane box, what would you bring? Uh, where am I going? Going to Chautauqua? Sure. Sure. Yeah, we'll go to Chautauqua. Okay. Let's do that. All right. If I'm going to Chautauqua and I'm not going to have my boat and I'm going to go on a front of the boat, I'm going to pick my four and a half, and they're all going to be either brown perch or regular perch and maybe some bright perches. And then I'm going to bring some seven inchers, and then I'm going to bring 
I'll probably bring a few jointed Wileys and a few straight Wileys in some kind of perch pattern. You got to have bars when you're up there because there's so many perches in that lake. So that's, I, you know, I mean, shad works up there. Different colors work. Walleye's a good uh, color up there. But that's what I would bring a lot of natural patterns and maybe one fire tiger. Let's change. You got you get one Plano box again, but now you're going to come fish Lake Miltona here. You know nothing about it or or very little. So what would you bring then? I'd bring my 7-inch baits. I'd bring my minnow baits. I'd bring my 10-inch minnow, my 12-inch minnows, maybe some of my deep divers, and then I would bring my the smallest bait I would bring to the seven if we were trolling by you guys. You're right on there. The only reason I know this is from customers, you know, telling me what they've done and what they use up there. So I kind of know that if I was going up there, that's what I would bring. Now, as far as colors, I'd probably bring silvers, whites, trout colors, you know, anything white fish, disco, that kind of stuff. You're right on. Am I close? You're, you're very close, I would say, when you say, Brad. Yeah, for sure I would say that you're close. And I I find it interesting that it's neat that you have a customer base that has stretched your brain a little bit, too. But I don't really know a whole ton about Chautauqua. What what kind of water is it? Is it really clear? Or is it tannic? What, what is it out there? Uh, the north end is deep and clear, and the south end is shallow and nuclear green. Completely two different lakes. But it's the same lake. They're having a lot of water quality problems from spraying and putting chemicals in the water to kill all the weeds on that end of the lake. And you have farms that are dumping fertilizer in the lake, and you have all the open septics that are running in the lake. There are all the, you know, big dollar homes around there, and everybody wants a nice, lush green grass, you know. In fact, they just threw a petition out there to try to stop it. Because it's it's they they had a no swim uh, advisory last year there, and I heard of a couple dogs even dying from drinking the water. But then when you get around the corner, because it's like an hourglass shaped lake, so when you get to that skinny part, it opens up to the north end. It's completely different. They'll have a we uh, they'll have an algae bloom sometimes, but it's not that because it's so deep, you know. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear. I, I know that that, what is it? Is it a blue algae? Blue algae, The yeah. blue algae is the bad one that, that people, I mean, even humans can uh, pass away from that. So that's not a good I, I thing. I think that, yeah, I think that's what it is. But they, I mean, they've been doing this for years and they have the big weed cutter boats that cut all the weeds. So we used to, we, if we were casting up there, we used to have to chase the weed cutters and get in front of them. So, we could fish the wheat beds before they cut it, because once they cut it, it would be shot, done, gone. You got to find the spots that the weed cutter missed, like on a corner or whatever. Just like when they're combining, the, the parts that they miss still holds fish then. What she's talking about is that as they're cutting those weeds, they don't really know exactly where they just cut. So they'll a lot of times leave stripes and those are perfect ambush spots for predatory fish to hang out in or as well bait fish. So definitely something to key in on. I know when they used to harvest or cut, shouldn't say harvest, they were cutting all the milfoil and some of the bodies of water here in Minnesota. 
you definitely could go out there and find those stripes where they missed and you definitely would get on fish when they cut them it's like it would be like really like gone i guess i never to be honest with you like really looked around to see if they missed any clumps because we usually fish just the edge you know uh, Chicago weeds are, they run from the shore out to the first break, and then the second break, it dumps down to like 15 or more feet. So there's a lot of times we'll be sitting out in 20 foot of water, casting, which was real hard to get used to. People coming from Ohio, and, you know, you're casting that really, really deep weed edge, and this bait just, they, it's gone. So, I, I guess they can't get it all, but I'll have to look at that next year if, uh, if I have had that opportunity. What kind of weeds are they cutting, Paul? They cut anything. <laughs> it's milfoil, cabbage, um, that, that long pine weed. No, I drill on. I drill on. They just cut it all. And then yeah. they, they sell I think they sell it to the farmers or something. It doesn't go to waste. But actually harvesting yeah. it. I mean, they're they're. How are they managing that? I, I haven't seen them where they've harvested it. I've just seen it where it drops to the bottom. No, they cut it and it flips up onto the deck of the this massive boat. You know, yep. big piles of it. That's the same deal like they do down yep. in Madison, Brad. They load it up on. They cut it, goes on the back of a boat, and then they use a, a conveyor to get it off the boat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And then we have another lake by us that's a fishing lake only. It's only a, it used to be a nine nine lake, nine horse for a year, forever, since like the 40s or the 50s. And they up it to 20 for the pontoon boats. So it's a fishing only lake. No speed limit, you know, it's a 20 horse lake. And they started killing the weeds there a few years back in certain areas. And it's like, I don't, I don't understand that. If, if you want to live on the lake, because you love the lake and it's a fishing lake, why? I just I don't understand. I just it blows my mind. It's fish lake, so it's definitely hard to comprehend. I mean, I I understand. You know, here in Minnesota, when they originally were cutting those weeds, they were trying to eliminate milfoil, and unfortunately, they were basically spreading it because the seed was going everywhere. So I I don't know. I don't know what the just is to it, really. Well, I always heard though they're trying to keep the uh, homeowners that live around the lake happy because they don't want weeds by their dock because it screws up their boat motors and stuff, and they pay all the taxes that are you know to live on the lake. So I think they side with them more than they side with us because of that. I think you're right on track there. Do you guys fish Canada, Eddie? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, before this business, I spent quite a bit of time up on Lake of the Woods, um, and I've been different lakes throughout uh, Ontario. But uh, last okay. year, I kind of made it up there again for a week, and I'm trying to think. I'm going to make it up there again this summer, but uh, otherwise, it's usually about one week a year. Yeah, I've been going to Georgia Bay since 96, and I haven't been there in the last couple of years give it a little rest. Yeah, that's always interesting up there and fun. It just amazes me that that nobody still really goes there and everybody knows about it. You know what I'm saying? But it's a tough, tough nut to crack for sure. 
So Paul, we've had a couple of listeners talking. They've been, they want to know about some big fish stories or they want to know a little bit about how to attack big fish water. You got anything that you can offer in that? Uh, yeah, we, uh, every year we go up to Georgian Bay and I'm trying to think what year it was. I don't remember. One of the years it was, uh, me, Kevin and my buddy Dave and, it was our second lap day of the trip, pretty nasty out, and we got a nice milk run, meaning we picked, you know, four or five spots that held bait fish and some uh, islands and stuff like that, and we, we fish pretty big baits when we go there, and we, we usually fish, you know, 40 foot down, 30 foot down, and 20 foot down. With, you know, everybody gets one rod because it's only one rod a piece. So we all pick a depth and we, we go for it. And uh, I remember, I remember it was nasty out and, you know, really windy, wavy. And I was, I was down 30 feet with one of my baits and we're flipping along. I just happened to look at the fish finder and I seen it starting to creep up, you know. So we're going, we're going, it's, it's getting higher. It's like, it's like 35, 34, 31. And I'm like, shit, I'm going to hit. And I, it got to 30. My rod started bouncing and Kevin swung the boat off. And as soon as we swung out, it went down to like a hundred feet. And that rod just took off. Has the nicest sound in the world. And it ended up being, uh, it was only a 50 incher, but it was by 26 though. So that was a that was a good fish for us to round off the trip, you know. Yeah, but that's going. how we attack those. Yeah, we attack those lakes like that. We try to find transitions like that that are really abrupt, I guess you would call it. We do a lot of contact fishing when we go up there. And we we bust down east rods, you know, two or three a, a week, you know, from all the stress from grinding those rocks. And uh, that's that's why that's why we have to leash all the rods now. It's a little scary to hear those things go. <laughs> For guys that don't know contact fishing, can you you know there's some people out there that are pretty new to this whole musky fishing game. You want to describe what what you're referring to when you talk about contact fishing? Where you contact the bottom or your the piece of structure, um, knowing you are going to be deeper than what it is. You just grind it a little bit, and we've caught a lot of fish that way. My buddy has a 55-incher up there from grinding rocks. His partner gets a little too close for too long sometimes, but it resulted in a 55. I think that thing was like 55 by 27. It was a, it was a beautiful big fish out of Georgian Bay. Probably never was caught, you know. And, you know, that's just, that's what it means. And what kind of baits are you doing? Are you running your own stuff, or do you got other guys' baits that you're using? What's What are the tools you're using to do uh, this? Um, at that time, we're running uh, all Marge baits, mostly. We'll throw a periwinkle in the mix here and there. Uh, we'll throw my 10-inch wash shad in the mix. But uh, the Marge bait's been a pretty good staple up there for us, which you can't buy. So nobody, if anybody's looking for them, forget it. No. Uh, which marge are you running, actually? The 10. The 10-inch, okay. Yeah. That 55 came on a large marge, actually. The large marge I, is something I would love to own. <laughs> yeah, that's a big sucker for sure. 
That's the underground side of musky fishing. They get all these little bait manufacturers yeah. that only make like seven baits a year and guys catch a bunch of pile oh, that, of big fish on them. Then they're impossible to get. That's him. And he's been making them since 95 and he only sold them to friends. There was a couple guys in Canada that were, were buying them way, way back before the friends thing. And they used to fund their trip with it. But, um, those are the only ones that you see come up here and there for trade or for sale. Yeah, it's been, I'll tell you what, for as many that are out there, they sure they caught a lot of fish. And big fish, a lot of big fish. The, but, the only um, one that I've ever seen, Paul, is one that Tony Spicker had, and I don't even know if he actually owned it. Yeah, that's, well, he owns, he owns large margins and 10 inches. So I don't know, which color was it? You know, I can be able to tell you. Man, it, it's been probably eight years, so I I don't remember. Yeah, he's got a few now. I oh, there's another good story about the large or the regular march. I uh, I caught a couple fish on this bait, and I ended up snagging it on an anchor rope in a lake in PA, and I sat down there for three years, and I marked it on my GPS. One day, I wasn't paying attention, and I. I got real close to that mark, and my rod went off, and I'm like, shit, I snagged, you know, I got another snag. So we ended up getting everything out, and I got the bait back after three years of sitting down there. I went home, and I pulled all the paint off of it, and I drilled some holes in it, and I let it dry out for a year, and then uh, I repainted it. After I repainted it, I got two 40-pounders on it and, like, 13 other fish on this bait. This bait is just demolished. It looked like a dog grabbed this thing. And I was at Georgian Bay the one year, and I lost it again. On a, uh, it ended up being a, a sunken wooden dock or, or, or a boat pallet or something. It was something where you put a, bo- a boat cradle. That's what it was. And uh, my Canadian buddy hired a scuba diver down and got it for me. And I got it back for the second time, but it spent all winter on this snag. And I was lucky enough to get it back twice. <laughs> so I've been offered a lot of money for that bait, but I've not given it up. That's incredible. That's really cool, Paul. That's, yeah, that's a good story. Well, I, I know a similar story about a Wishmaster that was on, uh, oh, what lake is it, Carrie? Oh. On Crow up in Ontario. And I don't know exactly who lost it. I think Luke Gronestrand maybe lost it, or maybe it was, God, I'm trying to think. But, Paul Hartman's dad maybe lost it, but one of the one of the crew, I think Paul Hartman ended up hooking it somehow um, when they were calling uh-huh. again later and and got the bait back. And I think that was like a year or maybe even two years. That's a story that's pretty unique as well. Yeah, for sure. It happened. This specific lake that I lost it at the first time, we actually have gotten back probably three or four baits that have been down there for years on anchor ropes that we just recently got back again. So it's possible if anybody ever loses anything, as long as the hooks don't rot away and it goes both somewhere, you know? All right, so, Paul, before we wrap up, typically we've been having guys that come on, offer up some tips or a tip that can help guys catch more fish this season. You got anything you can lend the listeners? I got the perfect tip. This is the most important tip if you're a troller. Learn your fate. Not everybody's line lengths are going to be the same as yours. Everybody's reels are different. 
Everybody's spools are lying on different. Some people keep the rods out of the water. Some people keep them in the water, which makes a huge difference. The speed makes a difference. Find a non-snag spot, several of them in different depths, and test your lures and write it down. If you don't know where your bait is, you're not gonna you're gonna miss fish. That's my tip. I think that's a really good tip, Paul, and and well said. So. Everybody buys all these baits. They're tools. Not a lot of people know how to use them. And you have to know when to use them, and you have to know where they're running. If, you don't, if, you're, if you're marking bait down to 10 foot, and you think your bait's down 10 foot, but it's down 15, or it's only down 8, you're, you're not in the strike zone. You've got to learn your bait. And every bait is different. And I don't care if it's plastic or wood. I have plastic baits that run different. You have to know your bait. Most important thing for a trawler. I can't disagree with you at all. On that tip, Paul, we want to thank you for coming out and spending some time with us. Good to talk to you. you. And for people that are looking to get in touch with you or they want to know more about Boss Shad, you want to tell them again how to go about doing that? Uh, My website is bossshad.com. My emails, you can email me through there with any questions or any kind of orders. Um, that's it. And Brad and Carrie, you want to talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle? I got pointed at. I guess I'm up for that. So you can reach us through muskiemayhemtackle.com or as well Facebook and Instagram. Otherwise, if you want to talk to me personally, you can message me on my Instagram account, which is Muskie Mayhem Guide Service. So definitely appreciate our customers and that's pretty much it for us, I guess. Hey, Paul, I forgot to ask. Do you have an Instagram or Facebook account as well? I have a, so, yeah, I have Facebook at Boss Shad page. I got the um, Canadian series page, which is called Boss Shad Peace Conference. And I do have an Instagram page, which is Boss Shad 1, I believe. Okay. Just for people that are looking to get other ways to get in touch with Boss Shad. If you want to find out more about the podcast, you can go to facebook or instagram or youtube if you want to hear the podcast on different places you can go to itunes google play or i think now they call it google podcasts spotify podbean iheart radio tune in radio there's a couple other ones out there too you can find us overcast would be another one i think i mentioned spotify stitchers another one too all sorts like most places you can find a podcast you can find us now and if you want to get in touch with us you can Either message us through either of our social media accounts or you can email us backlashpodcast at gmail.com. And for Team Rhino Outdoors, you can find that at teamrhinooutdoors.com. You can also check out Facebook or Instagram and our YouTube page. I think that pretty much wraps up this. This is, I think this was episode 51, wasn't it, Carrie? Yep. Excellent. So we're almost making it to a year. I'm surprised. I thought we'd be done six months ago, but apparently people still want it. So that's good. So once again, you know, we want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you again, Paul, for coming out. We really appreciate it. No, thank you. You guys have a good thank night. You. Take care, Paul. You too.